Well, good morning. It's uh, always delightful to, to stand and see our church congregation, particularly as we have some newer families visiting and we have some newer old folks returning. Today we're going back into Psalm 119 and I'm still stuck on the, the theme of a couple of Jay's sermons, the, the truth is out there. If you were here for those, you remember him explaining and exploring uh, as our society's making sense of what to do with UFOs. And it, it struck me that without God's word, we can easily see or we can succumb to uh, fanciful theories and fantastic plots of the earth and what the world wants us to see. In Psalm 119, we take delight with the writer in the beauty of God's Word and His promises. Uh, last time we talked kind of about an overview of it, and it's, it's a poem. It's 22 stanzas, uh, all starting with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, we lose that in translation, of course. And we talked about the, the purpose of God's law and the promises of God's law. We took a you know 50,000 foot view. We didn't get very deep, but we went pretty broad. Today we come down to about the 10,000 foot view. Uh, we're going to focus in on just a couple places, um, a lot more detailed, not a total view, and, and certainly not as deep as we could get in each of these, but I like Matthew Henry's description of this chapter. He says it's a chest of gold rings, not a chain of gold links. Uh, so, if you will stand with me as we read from Psalm 119, if you're using a pew Bible, that's about page 352, we're going to start in verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie and wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is, it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. 
I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Moving down to verse 145. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love, O Lord, according to your justice give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust, because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies, for all my ways are before you. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. There's the old saying I'm sure that you've heard. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Now, I say that, and it's a little bit of a running joke in my family because I, I'm more of a vegetable person, but yet I like chips and salsa. We're in a great town for that. And I'll joke with the kids that yes, a tomato's a fruit, so is a pepper, so I'll put them together and I have fruit salad. But that's a little bit of an inside story there. We have a lot of access to, to knowledge and strange and unusual facts, uh, the weird, the bizarre, uh, the, the complex. Um, I, I recall when 
I was stationed in Korea, it was, it was a while ago, cell phones were just becoming popular. Uh, when I left the United States, they weren't very common. I got to Korea and after some months, I can't remember when, I was in a subway in, in Seoul and I saw like eight, 10 year old kids running around with cell phones. Blew my mind. Um, of course, I came back after a couple of years and it was more common. I was amazed to think that these cell phones that we carry in our pockets have more computing power than the computers that got us to the moon. There is a lot of information out there and the amount of information has changed. I, I recall a, a family friend older, you know, probably 10, 15 years older than me that came knocking on our door as a kid and he was selling encyclopedias. Does anybody remember those? Did y'all have those? Like, that's what you had to go to to write your paper. Right? You had to search through them. <clears throat> but no more. You just whip out your cell phone. We live in an age where there is so much information. I mean, there, you could say it's a plethora. But what do we do with it? Sadly, as we read our social media pages and see the opinions of people, we come to a quick conclusion that knowledge and information is not the same as wisdom. What does this mean? Is this just a bunch of theory, a bunch of cliche? Well, I would challenge you that we are going to study this in Psalm 119, and we need to because we not, know that not only is society changing, they're changing the moral values, but also changing the language and the words that we use. They're changing it because the world has an idea of its peaceful and prosperous society, but we see that set against the Lord. This progress, if you just watch the news, is we're seeing higher crime, we're seeing greater frustration and calamity, we're seeing despair. We're seeing people lose hope. I stumbled upon it, but it absolutely saddened me that the, the latest information from the National Institute of Health that is for Americans age 10 to 34, the second leading cause of death is suicide. That is staggering and saddening. We have so much at our fingertips, yet so many people don't know what to do with it and lose hope. People need truth. They need direction and they need hope. And as we dive a little bit deeper into Psalm 119, we are going to look at three essential human needs answered in this chapter. The first is God's word is the only truth. The second is God's word provides unfailing direction. And the third is God's word shows you your only hope. That's God's word is the only truth. God's word provides unfailing direction. And God's word is your only hope. But first, what is truth? Have you ever asked that question? You know, we do have that tagline that the truth is out there, but, but what is it? According to the the dictionary, it's real things, events, or facts, or I like this one, fidelity to a standard or an original. What we can be certain of is God's word is the truth and the only truth. His decrees, his laws, his statutes, all these 
words that we see repeated that we talked about last time, they're permanent. They're eternal. Verses 90 and 91 tell us your faithfulness endures to all generation. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand to this day for all things are your servants. It's eternal. That's hard for us to get our heads around. God upholds all things. Now, a way that this resonates with me is something you likely heard from your parents. If you're a parent, you've probably said it. I know I've said it to my kids. When they've come to me and they've wanted something or they haven't wanted to do something or put something off, I've said it. When you pay the bills, you get to make the rules. God created the earth. We see that in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. He spoke, we became. And it was good. But yet we rebelled. It didn't take very long for us to seek our own way, to look for our own, own, own styles of life, our own priorities. And we come up with our, our own ideas of how to live a productive life, how to live a pleasing and peaceful life. And these, these ideas, they, they spin into bigger things. They spin into not just a pamphlet with five steps to your, your greater life. It spins into how society acts and views things. Here we see the, the writer in verse 96. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. When you see that word perfection there, it really in the Hebrew, goes more to a completion. Luther uh, reads it this way. He sees an end of all things, but your commandment is broad. Our ideas are limited. They're limited because, in part because they're imperfect. We've seen it in history. We come up with ways of doing things, and we come up with ways of structuring our society. You know, one was the, the Renaissance, and at a high level, you had a break from the past, particularly religion and traditions. You saw the inroads of secularism, uh, human reasoning, like we can think through this ourselves. Uh, the Enlightenment saw a progressive history, saw that the, the universe is merely mechanical in nature. A lot more secular psychology and ethics Modernism, industrialism, we just got to build the right stuff. If we build the right stuff and make things the right way, we can solve society's problems. All of these were done away with. We don't live in those ages anymore. Disease, war, uh, revolution changed all those. What we're living in right now is a totally different one. It's one you may have heard, postmodernism, and you think, this is like, college campus stuff. Well, it really isn't. What is it? It's skepticism. We hear a lot of skeptics today. It's a rejection that there's universal narratives, that there are truths that apply to everybody everywhere. You could see where that would conflict with the Bible. It really just means that values, it's, it's a specific to one little culture, one little subgroup. Lawton may have its own 
truth. Elgin and Cash may have their own. But again, it's kind of high level. What is that? I'm sure you've met a skeptic of the Bible. You may have been one at one time. You'll hear someone say, you know, the Bible, it's, it's a bunch of myths. It, it's just a collection of myths. You may have heard, you know what, I watched the show. There's this guy with funny hair. He was pretty convincing that it was brought here by aliens. Maybe you've seen that guy. Perhaps you've heard that someone answer your question or answer you by saying, well, you know what, that's true for you. That's your truth. That's the world we live in. That's what you hear, and that's contrary to the Scripture. What do all those have in common? Do they have anything in common? Well, they do. They come from the root of Genesis 3.1. Did God really say? People are living in a world, as we've discussed, that is influenced by evil. There's always a press to, to pull us away from God. And just as those two in the garden saw, they'll look and say, did God really say? And they'll see farther that it was delightful, pleasing. And there we go. Attempts to construct a truth, a way of life apart from God's truth, it's not just a result of sin. It is, in, its, in fact, sinful itself. But hope is not lost there. I, I like uh, what the psalmist in Psalm 2 says. Verses 1 through 4. The king of earth, excuse me, why do the nations rage and people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Habakkuk 1.5 talks about the, the Chaldeans, an evil empire being brought up to punish Israel, who were later punished by the Babylonians. It can be very frustrating when you're at work or when you're talking to a friend and hearing that's true for you and, oh, well, that's nice, you believe that, in condescension. We know that God does not rest. Genesis 11 tells us the story of the Tower of Babel. You know it well. God had commanded his people to go, multiply, subdue the earth. And what does subdue the earth mean? It's not strip mine. It's take care of. But what did the people do? You know what? There's lots of groups branching off here. We're going to come together. We're going to build an awesome city. They're going to have to come to us. And just to show off, we're going to build the skyscraper. I like skyscrapers, but that was obviously not the right time. And of course, you know the story. God took action and scattered them in punishment. We have to be careful before we think that it's the universities and stuff out there. It's uh, the people on Facebook and in California. Churches can fall into this too. 
Churches fall into it because we are all drawn to the idea of pragmatism. Pragmatism, big word, but basically it's the end justifies the means. We're trying to get somewhere and whatever we got to do to get there, we'll do that. Um, I kind of joke and you've heard the saying that, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. Uh, I've always joked that uh, laziness is the father of efficiency. People are looking for the easy way to get stuff. And we do that in churches too. In doing so, the gospel gets sidestepped. It gets softened. And we'll say, you know, we want people to fill these pews so bad, we're going to kind of pick and choose from the scripture where to go. We lose the context. We lose the narrative. And that's how you'll see someone that's really popular, they speak really well. I'll say, you know what, here's this verse. We're using it this way. And they don't look three verses later and see the context. Don't believe me? One example. It's creeping into the Southern Baptist Church. What is the role of women in the church? Can they preach? And they'll take a verse from Paul and say, ah, that, that applied to them. That was just... That was just them, because look at this other book over here. That, that was cultural. This is cultural, too. And they miss just words later where Paul goes and explains that this is how the created order works. We don't have to like it. We don't even have to understand it. But we have the words of God, and that's what informs us. When... We are picking and choosing, and our, our methods, our, our church is driving growth for the, for the sake of filling the building or promoting a new program. That's when we stopped being the church, and we must be very careful with that. No, there's an entire industrial complex out there that's profiting off your ignorance of the Bible. They've got books, they've got fancy speakers, and they're counting on you not reading your Bible. They're counting on you not being as the Bereans and digging in and seeing what the Word of God says. I mean, you've got to give a, a hat tip to the Roman church. They just go full out with it and say, we've got this guy. He's going to tell us what's important out of the Bible, and he's going to decide what it really means. Aside from churches and and our country. I mean, we can too. And we can slip into it because of the language. We are presented with facts, and what's our response? I recall being at a, a business meeting. I just joined a, a new company, and one of the business analysts came in to assess our knowledge of how the company actually worked and what we were supposed to do and the steps we were supposed to take. And there are four of us in there. And, First, he looked at me. He's like, yeah, you've been with the company two weeks. You're not going to know any of this stuff, but just listen. So we get interviewed, going around the room one at a time. And there's two younger people in there and two, and I'm counting myself in that, older people. And there'd be a question. How does this form ensure that we're compliant with our inventory process? And myself and... The other older employee would say, well, what I understand about this process is fill in the blank. Get to the other side of the table, and 
these other two would say, well, how I feel about that form is, we just look at each other. It's like, how do you have feelings about a form? What does that even mean? But it, it showed me that the language that we're using and how we talk, what we hear, it affects our thought. I'm sure you've heard the saying, well, that's what's true to me. We do that, and when we base our response to the Scripture on how we feel about it, the Scripture is no longer the authority. The Scripture is no longer the truth. We have become our own truth, and that's a dangerous place to be. Several people have used the illustration back in ancient times. Villagers would be out tilling their fields, and their army would be off to war. And they didn't have Facebook, they didn't have telephones, they had messengers that would run. And they would tell them the outcome, they would tell them the news. Messenger would run, come in, people tilling the fields, say, we won, they're coming back. And what didn't happen was they'd be like, oh, cool, all right, hey, got, got some more potatoes. No, they'd celebrate, right? And just the same, the messenger comes and says, we just got wiped out. Enemy horde is 20 minutes. We got to go. Like, oh, you know, we've been here for years, and I just hung the pictures on the wall, just got them where I want them. I don't think it's a good time to go. No, there's a fact. There's an enemy coming, and you're going to respond one way or another. Through action or inaction, something's going to happen. This word is truth. It tells us it's truth. We can look around and see and know and understand that it's truth. I, I like what Habakkuk says in, in chapter 2. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Or Malachi 3.6, I the Lord do not change. And not to forget the words of Jesus himself in, in John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You must wrestle with that. This stanza, uh, verses 89 to 96, reminds us that God's word is the only truth. And we have to ask, well, what does that mean? So let's turn to verse 105 and see that God's word provides us unfailing direction. Now, this is one of the most beloved verses. If you went to Sunday school as a kid, you memorized it, or vacation Bible school, um, kids here are reading it, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Uh, not the only place it's in, uh, Proverbs 6.23, the commandments of the Lord are a lamp and the teaching is a light. Uh, this weekend, a couple of my kids were in a youth uh, production of Annie Jr. It was exciting. Um, it was this theater's first production ever, so we got to be part of history as they told us. As this production is going, it's probably about a third of the way in, all of a sudden, poof, all the lights went out. Everything. All these kids, I mean, you'd think they were trained professionals. They, they knew exactly what to do, and they stood there. Um, one of the director's staff, you know, hey, there's a breaker, we'll get this fixed. Well, all of a sudden, Annie, she's got a flashlight. It's one of her props. Now... If you know Annie, it's set in like the 1930s. So this wasn't a 1930s flashlight. They got this at Ace or hardware store. It's LED. So Annie pops this thing on, lights up the entire room. Like, 
as the old saying goes, the show could have gone on. I mean, this sucker was bright. Um, they got the breaker fixed, didn't need to go that route. But here, verse 105, this, this lamp to my feet, it's not an LED flashlight. This is, think of the old lanterns you see in the old movies. They, they give out light, they give out enough that you can see, but they're not going to light out a room. The way they're meant to be walked with, they're meant to be held close to the ground. They're giving out enough light so you can see a little bit ahead of you, just to make sure you're not going to step on, in my case, like a nail or something sharp, or, you know, twist your ankle on a rock. Um, but they're not going to give you a long-distance view. Now, that's good, but we as humans, what do we want? We want to see out there. Like, we want that light that's on the front of a train that we can see, like, two centuries in front of us. That's what we want. But this is lighting our path just a little bit at a time. But notice, we're on a path, and we're moving. We're walking. In biblical literature, walking implies your life. That's what it means you're living. This is your day-to-day life. This is, this is doing laundry, dishes. Uh, this is going to work in your job. This is the people that you're going against the flow with in, in the grocery store. Uh, the writer here recognizes that the word for the Christian life, it, it's a launching point, it's a guide, it's instruction on making decisions throughout our day and throughout our life from informing our emotions. Like how we feel isn't our starting point. We, we go to the Bible to see how we feel about something. It also helps us frame our reactions when we see something. I think we can all say we're guilty that we've seen something on social media and laughed at it and been like, ooh, probably shouldn't have laughed at that. That's that's our being informed by the Scripture, by, by the Holy Spirit. See, God's Word is not a mere collection of stories or an ancient text, you know, for educational enlightenment. It's informing us how to live. It informs us how to live in every situation. And it's pointing us. It's leading us on a path. But what is that path? What is it pointing us to? Well, here's where I tell you you need to be very careful. This would be a warning. A lot of people will see this and and their minds jump to a place like uh, 3 John uh, 1-2, I pray that you prosper in all things and be healthy as your soul prospers. Or Proverbs, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him. Hot dog, I got my retirement fund. I I just got to go to church, give to the poor, God's going to give back to me, I'm set. You no doubt heard the name and claim it, pastors. If you ask him my name, it's going to be given to you. Here comes the Lamborghini. I don't think I'll be getting one of those. We know that that's a twisting of Scripture. We know that that's not the intent of Scripture, and that we must dig in and learn and search. But sadly, you can even hear some of this coming from pulpits that you would otherwise consider healthy churches, you know, around the time of the uh, recently invented altar call, you may hear the plea to come, and, and you may even hear the statement that, you know what, even if this isn't true, if you give your life to Christ and, and follow Him, you can at least know that you've lived a good life. Have you heard that one? I have. I, I've heard that in church. And let me tell you, friend, that could not be farther from the truth. 
I can stand on that confidently because the Scripture specifically says that. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 13 to 19, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. The Christian life, it's not an insurance policy. It's not a supplement to your medical plan to to be healthy. It's all in. And sadly, we see too much in the American church, that buzzword that was big, the moralistic therapeutic deism. I may get those words in the wrong order. It's not about going around and being nice to people so they're nice to you back. It's not reading a Bible verse so you can get through your day, give you that power. It's not so that we can come together and rally around a good life, have a good time, go to camp together, and you know what? If our kids are kind of bad, that's an opportunity for them to rededicate their lives. Going to church is not enough to call yourself a Christian. Even learning Bible stories and a few verses It's not the same as learning the gospel. If all you can do is recall and recite verses, then you're on that that wide road that we read about earlier. If that's you, you may have that lantern. You've got the scripture. But you're holding that lantern too high. You love the light but you're not walking in the truth and you can't see the danger that you're walking in. Verses 107 and 110, you see the writer, I'm I'm severely afflicted. The wicked, and and here a, a better translation, maybe the ungodly have laid a snare for me. You have real life issues and challenges. You may be going through that now. If this was David writing, we know that he was physically chased by Saul to pursue him to death, and then even later in his life by his own son. Verse 109, you know, he was in constant danger. Yet, like Job, he didn't turn from God. He didn't say, well, that didn't work out. No, he stayed in the Word, and he relied on on God, knowing that salvation was not salvation from this world's challenges and problems, but from the bigger problem of being reconciled to God. The Israelites were pursued and enslaved by the Egyptians, and then later the Chaldeans and Babylonians, and this wasn't like what we see on the news today with you know, rockets getting shot from random places. This was people coming in taking them, tearing down all their buildings, burning them, and hauling them off into slavery. And this was being done by the most wicked civilizations on earth. 
to God's people or those who are supposed to be God's people. Babylon was so wicked, the Bible later uses it as the summary of all wicked kingdoms and empires. You may be faced with disease or a family member, disability, even inability. There could be financial uncertainty. We've certainly seen that in the last year. You, you could have financial loss. At work, you could be asked to support a position or an organization whose values are in direct contradiction to the Word of God. On top of that, you may sit here and you're still struggling with your own sin. You may be struggling with pride or selfishness, pornography, anger. And you're asking, can I, can I really do this? Is this even working? Friends, that's the beauty of the scripture. It's the beauty of the gift that we have. When Daniel and his contemporaries were in exile, they didn't just throw it off and say, well, we're not in the land anymore. That didn't work out. Time for a new gig. No, they, they stayed in the word. Timothy, you know, study to show thyself approved, a workman not ashamed. Like that, they did not abandon God's word. Matthew 24, blessed is the servant when his master comes and sees him working. They knew God was going to return, that God was true to his word. And they knew that they could rely, even in the midst of the worst hardship they could even imagine. Let's turn back to Matthew 7. That's what we read earlier. In Matthew 7, verses starting in 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus speaking, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, it fell and great was that fall. We read that earlier and sometimes I think I fall into it. We get this wrong thinking that this is two different people, two different places, two different circumstances. No, I think these people were in the same place. They both heard. They... <coughs> Excuse me. They both heard Jesus' words, but one did. One followed, one walked in the word. They went to the same church, heard the same sermons, went to the same Bible studies, probably even listened to the same podcast. One thought, that's nice, that's cool, that's helpful. But the other one had what I call knee time. <clears throat> you know what knee time is? It's, it's what I call when you get on your knees and pray. One saw their need for the word, for God, for his truth, 
begging God to soften his heart, to illuminate the scripture, to make it come alive, to understand it. Why? To be smart. No, to see the opportunities to walk in the Word. The opportunities to to grow the fruits of the Spirit. To see past the circumstance they were in. To see past getting honked at and cut off in traffic. To see past getting yelled at in the grocery store aisle. To see that they're in that situation to glorify Christ. To grow. To become more like Him. And to proclaim His name. Matthew 7, that that storm that came, that could be layoffs, that could be disease, that could be the rocky marriage, it could be the friend or family member that abandoned you when you needed them most. But where are you building your life? One of these had Christ and His Word, and as we see in verses 106 and 108, or through 108, keeping righteous rules, giving me life, praising God and, and, and learning the rules. They're, they're doing. They're doing something with it. And that's really the point of this stanza, that God's Word, church, it's not a life hack to get you through a difficult spot. It's, it's the bedrock that you stand on. It's, it's the path that you walk on. And that's where God, God's Word provides us unfailing direction. But again, I have to ask, to, to what? And that's what we're going to explore in a, in a third stanza here in verse uh, 169 uh, to 176 to the end. God's Word shows you your only hope. I want to read that. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of the word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you. And let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Okay, I know you've done this. You've got a book. You're reading it. You like it. You're a third of the way, halfway through, and what do you do? You jump to the end, right? You want to see what this is building towards. We have here Psalm 119, one of the most grand chapters in the entire book of the Bible, and you have to say, what a finish, right? Is that the finish that we expected? I mean, there's no proclamation of victory. It's not a grand triumph. We don't have this mountaintop experience of look at what we accomplished in the 175 verses before this one. No, it's, it's an acknowledgement of being lost. It's talking about sheep. We, most of us today, don't have a lot of experience with sheep, other than the wool clothes that we wear. But what we do know from shepherds is that the sheep wander, and they wander constantly. And it's not the kind of wandering like they are looking for the nice new grass, and all of a sudden they realize, oh, 
I'm, I'm away from everybody. I need to turn back. They don't turn back. They're like, nobody else is here. I get even more. And they just keep going. The Bible refers to us as image bearers of God. And we think that's great. Then yet we see how the Bible even more often compares us to one of the dumbest animals on earth. And we look at that and it, it takes us down a notch. Particularly when we realize that we can admit that that's probably a really good comparison. I'm reminded of a video, you may have seen it recently, there's this man, I don't know what country, and there's a, a sheep stuck in a rock and its leg is stuck in this, this clevis and the guy's working and you can tell the sheep's irritated at him for pulling on his leg. And he finally frees the sheep, gets it out, and the guy, you can tell he's like thrilled, he did something good. And the sheep takes about three hops and right back in. We do that. You know we do that. This stanza is clearly not a, a victory declaration for us. It's reminding us of our need for God and for Him to sustain us. Sustain us not just in our hardship, we certainly need that, but even sustaining us in our prayer and praise. You know, it acknowledges that salvation is of the Lord and that he seeks us, but even beyond our salvation, we still wander. We, we had our confession of sin. We, we know we still wander, and we need God to keep us. Now, I want to be clear here. If you're a Christian, that wandering is not wandering from the hand of God. You, you don't lose your salvation if you are his, but we do know that we still get pulled back to our old ways. And that's not something that we're going to sit down and write out a list of steps to overcome. We need God's Word. We need God working on our heart for that. <clears throat> to understand this Word, to be able to use it, to understand spiritual matters, that in of itself is a gift from God. In John 6, uh, Jesus has fed the 5,000. He's got a ton of people following Him. And he tells them, you know, you have to eat my flesh. Now, they're thinking cannibalism. They're thinking this guy's weird. But they missed the point. They came to him for physical food. They came to him because they saw that this guy, like, we don't have to work anymore. We don't have to work so hard anyway. This is our ticket. We know they viewed them wrong. We know the verse, you know, no one can come to me unless the, the Father draws him. We also know the verse, you know, the natural person from 1 Corinthians, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit because they are folly to him. So that begs the question, if you're not in the Spirit, if you're not one of God's children and you can't understand it, How? What, what, do you, what do you do with that? Again, God's Word tells us in verses 169 and 170, Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your Word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your Word. What hope is there if you can't understand it? Ask. Just ask. 
That's also seen in John 3. In this last stanza of this great chapter, the, the writer, again, is not having a celebration dance, but he's coming to God in contrition and humility, recognizing his need for God to sustain him and to give him the zeal for the word, acknowledging that to continue to walk, to live day by day, to go through every step of life, he needs God's word, God's power. Psalm 119 is a a great expanse exploring the beauty of God's Word, exploring the beauty of His promises, and showing us that the more you read it, you see more and more how it applies to everything that you do. And today we took just three stanzas and saw three essential human needs that are answered. God's Word is the only truth. God's Word provides unfailing direction, and God's Word shows you your only hope. So what do you do with that? Well, if you're a Christian, I'll offer just three things. We know that this world is ruled by the father of lies, so we must overcome that. We must overcome that when we're in our homes, and we must overcome that in our churches. We've got to dig deep. We've got to get in the Word and know it and study it. It's, it's sad that there are churches today that will take an hour, one hour a week, in what we call Sunday school, other places call it other things, and they'll say, you know what, we're going to take this down a notch because we don't want to overly complicate stuff for visitors or non-Christians. That's sad. Now we, we've got to dig in. When we dig into the Word, that's when we understand how God's Word applies to us. We, we're able to discover the joy and peace, even in hardships. I'd say especially in hardships. So three responses that you as a Christian should have is first... Read the whole Bible, the whole thing. Now, I don't recommend doing that in an afternoon. I did do a 90-day Bible plan, and that was intense. Spend a year. Spend two years, if it takes that. But read it. You'll see the overarching themes. You'll see things begin to tie together. I also recommend doing that with a notepad to write questions, because you'll see some weird stuff. You'll see some hard things like floating axe heads and bears jumping out of the woods. You'll want to take a note on that because you'll want to ask George about that later. He loves those. The second thing is read the Bible daily. Get in it every day. Memorize it, even better. Memorize it. Reading the Bible every day puts the Word of God in front of you in whatever situation you're in. It's not something I'll get to later this week. It's, it's how I'm going to live today. So I'd say read the Bible daily. And third, I would say study and apply the Bible. How do you do that? Well, there's a lot of ways. 
you know, we have community groups here that, that go through books of the Bible or other books. You can get a good book and study that. We have a lot. You can ask any of the elders. We can recommend one to study it, to see how the depths of Scripture are explored. And as you're studying it, figure out how to apply it. Figure out how to take that truth and say, you know what? I'm going to be in this situation today. I've got that coworker that makes me cringe. How am I going to show Christ? Now, those are just three ways you can respond to this as a Christian. But if you're not a Christian, if you have not repented, if you've not turned to Christ to follow him, how, how do you respond to this? Well, just that, you, you repent. You recognize that you weren't the one paying the bills. You didn't speak this into existence. God did. And God didn't fail you. You're born in sin. And you know this because you know you mess up daily. You sin in what you do, what you think, and what you, you don't do. And you know that you can't stand before God. You know that you will be judged. And your only hope is Christ. So in that you must repent and believe in Christ and follow Him and walk in His way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving it in such a beautiful way and in such a simple way. Thank you for its clarity. Father, I pray for those hearing this today that we may discover and be renewed in searching and having a thirst to know you, to search your word, to know you through reading, studying, and not stopping there and taking it and informing our lives and what we do and how we act and glorifying you. Father, I pray for those that hear this and do not know you, that have not repented, that you will convict them, that you will pierce their heart. Make such an impression on them that they cannot do anything but tremble in fear of knowing of a certain eternal doom. But not stop there, but to repent, acknowledging their sin, turning to Christ and His righteousness and His salvation and living for Him. Father, we love You and we thank You. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.